listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Just how bad is Lav Scam getting for Justin Trudeau? Well, would you believe that dozens of young women who would have given him a standing ovation in the House of Commons just a few months ago are now literally turning their backs on the PM. Rebel Commander Ezra Levent has the latest on the ongoing SNC-Lavalin dumpster fire. So Keenan Bexty was in the riding of Calgary Varsity the other day doing what all reporters do, asking questions. But current NDP candidate, former communist Anne McGrath, well, she didn't care for his questions, so guess what? She called the cops. Just wait you hear the details. And our Tinseltown Rebel recently attended a showing of the entire Dark Knight trilogy, an event hosted by director Christopher Nolan himself. While many on the left loathe the right-of-center narrative these films embody, Ben Davies is going to explain why these leftists are really a bunch of jokers. And finally, letters. We get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding the removal of a high-risk transgendered pedophile who had been placed in a female halfway house in Brampton, Ontario. Yeah, apparently he violated his parole conditions in less than a week. Gee, who saw that coming? Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Let me show you a bizarre TV clip of Trudeau speaking to a group of young women who visited Parliament yesterday. Remember, almost 50 of these young women, when Trudeau spoke, as you can see here, they stood up and turned their backs on him. He was speaking. They stood up with their backs to him. It's sort of incredible, given how much he's sold himself as a male feminist. I think he's destroyed that reputation these past two months. Uh, these young women are his core demographic. Uh, they all think he's just like a Gian Gameshi character now, a groper, which of course we know he is. Anyways, to the young woman who didn't turn their backs on him, here's what he said. Now listen to this, it's so weird, listen. I know nobody in here wants to have to pick who to believe between Jody Wilson-Raybould and Christia Freeland. Nobody wants to know that one person has to be right and another person has to be wrong between between Jane Philpott uh, or Miriam Mosef. There are always going to be a range of perspectives that we need to listen to. First of all, he, he actually forgot Jane Philpott's name, which is, is weird. But look what he did. He reframed this whole crisis as just something between quarreling women. Jody Wilson-Raybould versus Christia Freeland? What? Jane Philpott versus Catherine McKenna? What? 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 So, so this whole problem these past two months hasn't been about him. He's not the problem here. The problem is between a couple of quarrelsome women, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Christia Freeland. It's between Philpott and McKenna. It's between some argue, arguing, gossipy women. He's, he's the calm father figure above it all. You know his role. He's the great giver. He gives to these women. His role is to give them a chance. He's their father figure. He's their, what, boyfriend? I don't know anyone else who would get that close to some of these women. 
other than their marital, marital spouse. I mean, why are you hugging? Why are you coming nose to nose with these women? It's so, look at that hug. What is with that? That's a chest to chest hug. What is that? Trudeau is playing a weird sociopathic political game here. He's gaslighting these women. You know what gaslighting means, right? He's changing the historical facts with a straight face, daring you, telling you not to believe your lying eyes. This wasn't about him trying to bully Jody Wilson-Raybould. What, are you crazy? It's about Jody Wilson-Raybould fighting with Christian Freeland. This isn't about him doing something that Jane Philpott disapproved. This is about Jane Philpott quitting. Well, not because of Trudeau's misconduct, it's because she was fighting with Catherine McKenna. Don't, don't you see that? What? It's so weird. He blames other women. He pits women in hypothetical battles. McKenna and Freeland had nothing to do with this. It's so weird what he did, so manipulative. But it, it served to exonerate himself psychologically so he doesn't have to take any responsibility for his screw-ups. Well, the SNC-Lavalin affair is kind of like a Yoko Ono concert, isn't it? It started out badly and then proceeds to get horrid. And tragically, if you're a card-carrying liberal, that is, it didn't have to be this way if Prime Minister Justin Trudeau simply manned up when the Globe and Mail article originally broke this story and told the truth and apologized to Jody Wilson-Raybould. Well, it would have, and pledged that there would be no deferred prosecution agreement for SNC-Lavalin. Well, this story would likely have been dead and buried by now, but instead, the scandal continues to fester like some ghastly soap opera script. And far from manning up, now Trudeau is metaphorically hiding behind the skirts of Freeland and McKenna. Pathetic. Joining me now to weigh in on a scandal that will surely dog Trudeau all the way to Election Day is our very own Rebel Commander, Ezra Levant. Welcome to Ezra. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Uh, my pleasure. You know, I think back, I was, as I was listening to you there, yeah. um, and I might have told you this anecdote before, Ralph Klein in Alberta had a pretty good sense of uh, the, the province, pretty good m feeling for the mood. Yes. But he, no, it's perfect, especially when you're making decisions every day. So about once a year, he would get something really, really wrong. Okay. And every politician's instinct is to dig your heels in, which is probably the right instinct because you get pushed around so much. If you caved in at the first breeze, you would be flip-flopping every day. But when it was clear that he just got something really wrong, Ralph would just, in his own Ralphy way, just go and say, you know what, folks? I screwed up. Yep. I'm sorry. And, like, and it, it was like a 30-second press conference. Because when you, when you say, I screwed up, I got it wrong, sorry, I'll undo it. There's really not much more you need to say because you've said it all. And the public is very forgiving. Yeah, well, yeah. that was the miracle, yeah. is that his popularity would always go up <laughs> because people would say, holy moly. He's, a, he's normal, and yeah. he's not a liar, and yeah, we all knew he screwed up. That's uh, screwed up. That's not the news here. The news is that a politician admitted it and fixed it, and no one ever expected anyone to be 100% perfect, especially not Ralph Klein. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. Justin Trudeau makes apologies every month, but they're not genuine. They're not for him, his own misconduct. He's an expert at apologizing for things other people did, often decades or even a century ago. And the reason that's a fake apology is because when you apologize for what someone else did, especially if it was long ago, you're not actually saying sorry because you have nothing to say sorry for. What you're actually doing is a psychological trick. You're saying, 
because I'm the only one who would apologize yes. for him, I'm better than him, and I'm, I'm going to get the kudos for apologizing for him. Everyone knows I didn't do it, and I've posited myself as the better example. So his fake apologies are less than meaningful. They're actually proof that he's a bit of a scammer. Because yeah. you don't apologize for something that you didn't do. You have no authority to apologize for it. Had he done, Jody Wilson-Raybould, I looked at the five, she made five demands. Yes. They weren't even demands, it was more <laughs> advice. Here's how you fix it. Get rid of the people trying to corrupt the system. Well, Gerald Butts, gone. Yep. Michael Warnick, gone. Yep. Um, there was one other PMO staffer, gone. That's good Matthew advice. Bouchard. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then promise not to interfere. Yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> and then admit what your office did was wrong. Yeah, that's, and the reason that last part is so important. Why would you want the prime minister to admit his office was wrong? Why is that necessary? Because if he won't admit it's wrong, that means he doesn't think it's wrong. He doesn't get it that he was doing something wrong, and he'll probably keep trying. So it, it wasn't, by the way, none of those things, as you'll see, make Jody Wilson-Raybould more rich, more powerful, more influential, give her a promotion, give her a job. None of those things are what you would traditionally negotiate for in some, like normally if you're lobbying or negotiating, you're trying to improve your own position. These, these weren't even conditions for her own benefit. This was how to fix the real problem. Had Trudeau, look, he, he said goodbye to Butts and Wernick anyways. Yes. So say goodbye to this last guy who was trying to corrupt the system. Say you're not going to do it again and don't do it again, and you're done. Imagine if he would have done that two months ago. This thing would have been a blip and it would have been done with, and Jody Wilson-Raybould would be able to say in honesty, yeah, uh, Trudeau got it wrong, but in his defense, he's not a lawyer, yeah. and I am, and I told him how to fix it, and he did, so we're good. No, he is clearly an author of his own misfortune, uh, Ezra, in the fact that he cannot apologize for something that he has screwed up. But I think that was a watershed moment on Wednesday when you had the Daughters of the Vote in the House of Commons, almost 50 of them, turn their backs on Justin Trudeau. And yet, even you know, talk about not being accountable for your actions and for what you've done. Um, Trudeau had that speech where he was talking about, you know, you can't be a team player, uh, you know, trying to ensure diversity if it's uh, Freeland versus you, if it's McKenna versus you. Here's my question to you. Um, it wasn't me, the guy, it, you know, uh, Trudeau was saying. It was these female. He turned it into a, a she said, she said event yeah. instead of he said, she said. I'm wondering if Trudeau even went to Freeland and McKenna said, by the way, I'm going to be using your names in this speech I'm giving to the daughters of the vote. No, of course not. But of course, he knew in advance they would be fine with it because they have agreed to do anything for him um, in return for power, yeah. which is exactly the opposite of Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, two professional women of accomplishment who had accomplished careers outside of politics before they got in. Christia Freeland was a uh, pop journalist who wrote some sort of tabloid-style books and wrecked a little new media... Uh, uh, initiative in New York for yes. Thomson Reuters. She, she uh, was not particularly accomplished. Um, Catherine McKenna is some social justice warrior activist. <laughs> Compare those extremely lean, or in the case of Christian Freeland, negative resumes with Jody Wilson-Raybould, an Aboriginal woman who became a, a top prosecutor, or Jane Philpott, who was a doctor who led, um, you know, aid missions abroad. So. Uh, Christy Freeland and Catherine McKenna are absolutely grateful to the great white giver. 
Yes. Justin Trudeau, here, I'll make you cabin. You, you think Christia Freeland, um, on her own merits, should be the foreign minister? She screwed every single file up. Now, Trudeau gets a lot of blame for that, too. I mean, the fact that they put her in charge of the NAFTA renegotiations, she's never negotiated anything before other than a failed deal with, like, the Belgians or something, and she cried in that negotiation. Yes. So it's such a contrast between these two women of character. And by the way, I disagree ideologically with Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. They're leftists, and yes. I'm a right-winger. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't speak to character or... or but this is about the integrity well, of the system, the thing. Right? And, and that's why I'm so impressed with Jody Wilson-Raybould that I don't even think for a moment about our ideological differences is because when was the last time anyone left or right showed the kind of moral care and conscientiousness yeah. that they would actually quit cabinet on a point of principle and then Jane Philpott to quit cabinet also even though she wasn't directly in the file those are astonishing, astonishing um, acts of self-sacrifice that I mean, when I started by mentioning how Ralph Klein would occasionally just say, guys, I screwed up, yep. I was wrong, sorry. That's not even a big self-sacrifice. That's just embarrassing yourself for 30 seconds and saying what everyone already knew, you were wrong. So everyone was wowed when Ralph Klein would say, I got it wrong. Here are two women who actually ended their political careers, um, at least temporarily, maybe forever, over a point of morality. That's impressive. And Trudeau looks so tone deaf. There is one more thing I want to point out. Trudeau screws up quite a bit, um, also because he's led a life of luxury and mm -hmm. unseriousness, and it was only in the last five, ten years that he's decided to be a grown-up. So he doesn't have a lifetime of experience. You can imagine the lifetime of experience that Jody Wilson-Raybould had, um, especially as a prosecutor, yes. dealing with right and wrong, making tough ethical calls. Tough working. gig. Well, being a prosecutor, yeah. not, I wouldn't want that job. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you succeeded that, you, you probably care about the law, I'm yeah. guessing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Trudeau screws up more than average, but it's so funny when he talks about it, he has this psychological trick. It's, and, and watch for it, because once you know it, you can't unsee it. He, if he does something really bad, like let's say when he groped Rose Knight, the young reporter in Creston, BC, um, and when he's dead to rights, when everyone knows he's, he comes out and he repositions himself out of the fray as an observer above it. Yes. So he says, ah, this was a good learning experience for us, for the country. And I'm happy to participate in this dialogue. And she had her point of view, and there's another point of view, and I'm the great giver above it. And so he, he's not an antagonist, he's not the problem. He takes himself out and he posits that, oh, I'm the observer, yep. I'm the pundit, I'm hovering above everything like some cosmic priest. And I say, you, <laughs> this is not about me and Jody Wilson-Raybould, this is about Jody Wilson-Raybould versus Christian Freeland. But, but, what? <laughs> but Ezra, isn't there some perverse irony, and you addressed this in a superb commentary earlier this week, that here is a prime minister who professes to be a feminist, and yet when he perceives his female cabinet ministers screwing up, uh, you're demoted, you're out of caucus, but as you mentioned, the likes of that dinosaur, John McCallum, uh, Ranar Sarkar, uh, when there's a screw up there, they get plum diplomatic posts. So, you know, not really true to the street cred of being a feminist, it would yeah. seem. Or Seamus O'Regan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> why was he, you know, I mean, probably the worst cabinet, I mean, 
I think Miriam Monsef is the worst cabinet minister, so I'm not going to say Seamus O'Regan's worse than her. <laughs> but um, he's so bad. And of course, he had to take a leave of absence because of his alcoholism. And I'm not going to be particularly mean to him about that. But he gets promoted? Yeah. And what did the aboriginal people of this country ever do to deserve being punished with him? So there's an example. Seamus O'Regan is a clown, is a drunk. I'm sorry, he is. His former colleague, Bob Fife, calls him shameless O'Regan. I mean, oh my God, he was hated there. So he fails upward. John McCallum fails upward, and he goes to China as our ambassador and screws that up. Screw that up too, yeah. All these men fail upward in the yeah. Liberal Party. I guess that's Trudeau's own trajectory, but these women get offside. And I say, I mean, Selena Cesar Chavan, I have my disagreements with her. I think she's a race huckster. Yeah. But oh my God, does Trudeau not know how to handle women who disagree yeah. with him? And it's four women in a row Jody Wilson Raybould, Jane Philpott, uh, Selena Cesar Chavan, of course, Leona Alislev, the uh, MP who defected to the Conservatives a few months ago. Yeah. It is so unusual to defect from a governing party to an opposition party, especially in the first term. Things have had to be, but so you have four women in a row, yeah. all in their own way. Again, I really disagree with Selena Cesar Chavan on issues of ideology, and, and she, I think she's a cultural Marxist. Yeah. But she too, I mean, I think she's an MBA. She actually had a successful career. And Leona Alisov, I think she's a military vet. So Correct. these are women of substance. Yes. I'm not talking about the, the weird... Miriam Monsefs and Christy Duncans and even Catherine McKenna's and uh, like the women who actually built something with their life, Trudeau can't abide them. He only likes the pure window dressing, say anything doormats. Wow, a, truly a fraudulent feminist. Yeah, he's a male feminist. Yeah. He's really a pickup artist. Yeah, and he does that physical move. He's like Joe Biden in that way. When he sees a woman, he comes right in, he touches them, he gropes them, he takes liberties with them that um, normally you don't do with any woman who's not your wife. Yeah. And those women in that, here's the trick that both Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau have discovered. And it's a really gross trick and other men can detect it, but women are confused by it. And that's, it, it works unfortunately more on women than on men is when Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden see a powerful woman who's achieved things, that's a bit of a threat to them. Mm. So what do Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden do? They go up to them and they physically dominate them by invading their personal space in a manner that no other man ought to do other than a man who, frankly, they're married to. Yeah. And I'm not talking about having sex with them. I'm talking about full body hugs, yeah. getting really right in their face, full sure. art. Like, and because and to do so, and, and why do both Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau do that in a public moment? I'm not talking about a private affair. Why do they do that in public? Because then they force that woman to make an instant choice. And of course, if she has a problem with it, that's her truth. Well, but, yeah. but the thing is, in that moment, if it was in private, I bet you most of those women would push away Joe <laughs> yeah. Biden or, and Justin Trudeau and said, what are you doing? But because both men force it into an extremely private public place, they make the woman choose. Do you want to continue with your swearing-in ceremony as cabinet minister? Yeah. Do you want to continue with this greatest moment in your life you're being sworn into cabinet? If so, just know that you have to be dominated by me. Wow. So you have an instant choice to make. Push me away and cause a scene yeah. or submit to my dominance physically, morally, emotionally, 
temporally, spatially, and most of them fail. Most of them fail because they're so shocked by it. Yeah. But it is an absolute psychosexual, emotional dominance move. It's really a pickup artist, and Trudeau's been doing it his whole life. I think you're right. I think it's very disturbing. As we're almost out of time, one quick question. We've talked a lot about the past. Give me your thoughts. What can Justin Trudeau possibly do at this stage to fix this mess? Well, I think, um, as Shakespeare said, uh, he's waded into blood so deep, I'm not quoting verbatim, um, <laughs> that it's quicker to go all the way through than to turn back. Mm. I'm sorry, I don't have the exact quote. It's beautiful. I think it's from I think it's from Macbeth. Basically, you're in so deep. Yeah. It's faster to go through than to turn back. So I believe that he will not only increasingly badmouth Jody Wilson Raybould and Jane Philpott, but I believe he will actually grant a deferred prosecution agreement to SNC Lavalin. Because he's all the way in. He's all in. So far in, why not go all the way through? And I, as I posited in my monologue yesterday, there's two possibilities. One is he just can't ever say he's wrong. Yeah. So he's just got to do it out of stubbornness. The other is, look, SNC-Lavalin is a corrupt company in its DNA. Uh, it's like Bombardier that mm -hmm. way. Bombardier is, has corruption and bribery scandals in countries all over the world. It's how they operate. Same thing with SNC-Lavalin. And I, I don't just mean dramatic corruption in Africa in Libya, but in Montreal. Um, corruption with the hospital, corruption with the bridge, corruption, corruption, corruption. If they're granted a deferred prosecution agreement and don't have to go through trial, we will never know what we don't know. Yeah. If they go to trial, what will we learn about corruption? Is there some donation they've made to a liberal? We saw how they lavished Muammar Gaddafi's son with gifts and prostitutes and Jeez. sports events and hotel rooms and um, well we know for a fact that Justin Trudeau loves to take illegal gifts like he took those vacations on Billionaire Island from the Aga Khan. Yeah. Did SNC-Lavalin just even something as small as let Justin Trudeau fly on their private jet? Right. Because that's a hell of a perk to give someone. Yeah. I would say it would be utterly unsurprising for Justin Trudeau to have taken a, a flight on SNC-Lavalin's private jet. Do you think he took a vacation from them? Do you think someone in his family did? His wife, the grasping, gold-digging Sophie Grégoire Trudeau, did you know that she phoned up the daughter of the Aga Khan and said, we sure had a good time at your island. Can I come back just with my girlfriends? I learned that from you. Yeah. <laughs> and the princess, the Aga Khan's daughter, said, well, we're not going to be there. And Sophie Grégoire Trudeau said, oh, no, no, that's, yeah, I know that. Oh, my God. That's not... Yeah, I, I, just, I just want the place. I want to meet you. Yeah. And I know you're thinking I'm making this up, but if you, this is in the Ethics Commissioner's report. Yes. So you don't think the grasping, gold digging, social climbing Sophie Gregoire Trudeau would take any gift from SNC Lavalin? Now, I'm just speculating here. I have no evidence of this. And if there's a deal struck with SNC Lavalin, none of us will have any evidence of this. I think that Justin Trudeau is going to blaze all the way through. Incredible. Well, Ezra, we're going to have to wrap it here. Certainly, this is not the end of this story. And you know, folks, it's fascinating. I don't think this is a fixable problem anymore. And it's going to be very interesting when the election campaign does kick off. What, what are these liberals going to run on? On 2015, it was the Trudeau brand. Remember, Team Trudeau. How do you run on the Trudeau brand 
given what we've seen in the last two months in 2019. It's going to be fascinating. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. because I'm asking you why you're a communist. You're harassing me on the sidewalk. You can go to your car, you can leave. Police, please. Do you, are you guys comfortable volunteering for a communist? Is Rachel Notley happy that you are a communist? Do you know how many people communism has killed? Can you hear him? Uh, he's got a baseball cap, dark sunglasses, brown leather coat, jeans. He's carrying a microphone and a video camera. And he is... Uh, I'm going to stay here. There's no threat to you. There's no threat to you at all. I'm standing here on this sidewalk. It's a public... This is a public space. You are a public figure. You're a public figure and you can leave if you like. I'm not planning on following you. I just want some answers. I think that it's reasonable for the media to ask you since, well, since the CBC has refused to actually publish the fact that you are a communist who ran during the Cold War. If you would like to leave, you can. It's totally within your rights. I just want to know if you regret being a communist and if Rachel Notley has forgiven you for that. She's telling the police I'm white. He's about, they asked me. I'm like 5'10". Yeah, I'm 5'10". <laughs> wow. Meet Anne McGrath, currently running in the riding of Calgary Varsity for the NDP. But McGrath has a somewhat checkered history, formerly running as a Communist Party candidate. And she also once stated that she'd like to see capitalists burn. But as you just saw, she doesn't like discussing the nitty-gritty details pertaining to her sordid past these days. And if you happen to be a reporter who has the utter temerity to ask impolite questions, well, she'll call the police to have you taken away. Gee, maybe she thinks Alberta is already a communist regime. And with more on this remarkable interview is our Calgary-based rebel, Kian Bexty. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Thanks for having me again, David. Always a pleasure. Kian, that might be a law enforcement first that we all just witnessed. The alleged victim, Miss McGrath, is being assisted with pertinent information about the alleged aggressor, that being you, of course. I was howling when you were passing along info to her, such as your height, your race, the fact that you weren't weaponized, etc. But Kian, does this woman not understand that as a public figure in a public space, she's fair game for questions? <laughs> she clearly doesn't. She <laughs> she did not under I and I don't know how to I don't know how to report on this because it's so unbelievable that she thought it was appropriate to call the cops on a journalist. I was on a, and sorry for the noise, if there's noise, I'm in a mall right now. I just pulled over for this interview because I'm on the campaign trail right now trying to find uh, a few NDP MLAs. But the, the <laughs> fact that, uh, the fact that 
Rachel Notley Star candidate, someone who has been running the McDougall Center, which is the Government Operations Center in Calgary for Southern Alberta. She's the executive director of the McDougall Center. She's a well-read, uh, she's an educated individual, but she doesn't understand that public sidewalks are by definition public, and in public spaces, anyone can record anything, anyone can ask whatever questions they want of people, especially when they're an influential, powerful public figure. Anne McGrath is uh, running in a swing riding in Calgary Varsity. There's a lot of university students and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty whether or not she's going to win or the United Conservative Party candidate's going to win. If she does win, she will be one of the few NDP MLAs who win in Calgary, which means that she has a high chance of being in the NDP leadership uh, following the orange crush that we're going to see on April 16th. So the fact that such an incompetent public figure has a high likelihood of running the NDP in the next, uh, within a few weeks, honestly, is surprising to me. That, that is amazing. And, you know, what I'm curious about, Kian, I, I find it personally fascinating that anyone growing up in the West um, could develop a liking for communism, an ideology that... I think on the low side of estimates has killed 100 million people. I'm curious, Ken, um, why do you think the media is giving her a pass on this? As you mentioned in your commentary, um, she's rarely, if ever, questioned about her past. And it's not just that, that statement, too, about wanting to see capitalists burn. I mean, whatever happened to the loving, inclusive left? Well, she's certainly not loving and inclusive by <laughs> by any means. And you're right about uh, journalists not wanting to highlight her communist path, uh, her communist past, her, her red record. Uh, she was a communist candidate during the Cold War. During the Cold War at a time when any hour of the day of the entire decade, the entire world could have been enveloped in a nuclear holocaust. And she was cheering for the Ruskies. She was on the Russian team. At, at a time when everyone was terrified, there was drills sending students under their desks in case there was a nuclear holocaust. And she thought that the Russians, they were the model ideology to follow, the USSR. It's, I think it's crazy. And the CBC, they, they even went as far to outline her entire electoral history because she's ran a few times in Calgary for less radical parties like the NDP. Uh, she's ran a few times. But... They neglect to mention that she ran for the communists in 1984. It's <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I just don't understand why. That, you know, talk about ignoring the elephant in the room. But, you know, Kian, the way she handled herself on camera, it, she did an entire disservice to herself. And so there's two things I got out of that interview. First of all, how she could have turned that into a PR win is that if she actually granted you a, a, a brief interview and said, you know what, I was younger then. I, had a, I, I didn't have a worldview that I have now. I renounce communism. She could have come clean, and you know maybe a lot of people would give her a pass for that, but she didn't. And that suggests to me that maybe, I don't know, I can't read minds, but maybe she still has a soft spot in her heart for communism, but you know, running as a Communist Party candidate in Canada, that's a no-hoper, so she'll go, I don't know, commie light and run as an NDP candidate. How do you see things? Well, we've seen, uh, Rachel Notley has talked about Anne McGrath. She sent Anne McGrath to Calgary as sort of a message of uh, hope to Calgarians back 
uh, about two years ago, halfway through their mandate, uh, because remember, and, and for the viewers who don't know this, the McDougall Centre was left empty for the first couple of years of the NDP mandate, which was seen as a slight against Calgarians. Uh, Calgarians saw that the government was operating out of Edmonton, they didn't care about Calgary as much as Edmonton, and this was just an NDP government that would put the uh, Edmonton agenda above the rest of the province. And finally, two years into their mandate, they send Kami McGrath to run the McDougal Centre. <laughs> and that's what they thought was hope for Calgarians? I don't believe it. I don't buy it. And I don't think Calgarians would buy it if they knew that she was a communist. But the mainstream media isn't telling Calgarians. I could talk to any of these folks here at this coffee shop with me and say, do you know who Anne McGrath is? We're in Anne McGrath's writing right now, actually. I could say, do you know who Anne McGrath is? And they say, might say... Yeah, she's the NDP candidate. But right when you ask them, did you know she's a commie, as I did with a cyclist who was drive, uh, riding by as I was talking to Anne McGrath, once you tell them that she was a communist, she's unelectable. Nobody would vote for communist. And that's why the NDP has done such a good job at whipping the media to make sure that they don't talk about this horrendous record of Anne McGrath. It's, she's gone as far to censor us on Reddit. Sorry if I'm carrying on here, but Anne McGrath has censored the rebel, not just by calling the police on me uh, a few days ago. She has gone as far to make sure that nobody can post anything about her on her uh, on the link sharing website Reddit. She's gone as far, uh, allegedly, to take signs off of people's lawns, uh, UCP signs off of people's lawns, and replace them with NDP signs. I just interviewed a lady here in Calgary Varsity saying the exact same thing happened. This morning, she woke up, her son went out to her car and saw uh, an NDP sign on their lawn, and they didn't know where their UCP sign went. She, the Anne McGrath is only going to win this if her censorship wins. Something has to change her. I don't know what it is. I don't know what we can do to make sure that we get our message out. I just, I, I'm at a loss. But, but Kian, that, that's fascinating what you just said. I mean, I, I know in politics of all stripes, when it comes to vacant lots, there's always one candidate ripping out somebody else's sign and putting their sign in. But like I said, it's a, a vacant lot or public property. Are you telling me this candidate or her minions are running around this Calgary writing and actually removing somebody's sign on private property and replacing it with one of her own? Well, that's what this resident says. I mean, I wow. don't have any video evidence to prove it, but a resident was very upset. She showed me the NDP sign as evidence that it was on her lawn uh, and her UCP sign was gone. She called the local UCP campaign asking for a new sign as a replacement. She called the NDP campaign to complain and the NDP said nothing. And the UCP said that this is a reoccurring theme, that they had done this before. It's all unverified. I, I just got to say that for the lawyers that are probably <laughs> listening from the NDP. But it, it, it's unverified for now other than the resident who is said it to me and and there's a video out uh this will air on friday we're filming it on thursday but there's a video that will show up here on the rebel website i think probably tonight or tomorrow morning of my interview with her viewers should definitely check that out it'll we'll, we'll put it under uh there you can see every video that i've done about ann mcgrath and with ann mcgrath uh we have to do something to expose her past because the mainstream media is not doing it and she's trying at every turn to censor us from doing our job. Absolutely, and Kim, we gotta wrap it here. One last exit question, um, and that is, what did she hope to accomplish by calling the police? I mean, there, there was nothing to charge you on. 
to me, what it speaks of is a feeling of entitlement. She's used to the media not reporting on her sordid past. To me, it suggests she's still beholden to the idea of communism, which tends to go hand in hand with authoritarianism, that she can get the, uh, the secret police, if you will, out and get rid of this pesky reporter. Am I reading too much into this or what was your interpretation? I think it is straight-faced intimidation. I think that Anne McGrath thought that dialing 90, that if she dialed 911, that the Stasi would pick up. <laughs> uh, I think that she thinks that the, the secret police are on speed dial. That's what that's there for to her. Uh, and I really think that she thought that when she flashed her, I'm going to call the cops on you line, that I was just going to leave, that I, I didn't have... Uh, the commitment to follow through and make sure that she answered those questions. Of course, she still failed to answer the majority of my questions, but uh, I, I think that she thought it was going to intimidate me away from asking questions. That's what this is. And if it happened to the uh, if it happened to the CBC, if a United Conservative Party candidate called the cops on a CBC, <laughs> like all hell would break loose. It's current. It's, it's disgusting what what Anne McGrath has done here to this riding and is going to do to this province if she gets elected. Well, Kian, I guess in the final analysis, KGB does rhyme with NDP. I know that was a cheap shot, but we're going to have to wrap it there. And Kian, thank you again for another excellent report, my friend. Thanks for having me. You Take got care. it. And that was Kian Bexty in Calgary. Stay with us, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. truthfully with no agenda, they're more likely to be conservative. Think of any classic, I mean real classic movies. How many of those movies are politically correct fad stories in an attempt to score brownie points with the Academy? Uh, none of them. Now this isn't exclusive to Christopher Nolan, there are other directors and movies that are criticized for being conservative, for not being properly woke enough, but recently in Los Angeles I attended the Dark Knight trilogy event. All three of the Dark Knight movies shown back to back to back in unbelievable 70 millimeter IMAX format. And the nearly 11 hour event was freaking awesome. But the best part of the event was Christopher Nolan actually attended and spoke on these movies. I recorded the interview and in response to the moderator, specifically asking if his Batman movies were influenced after 9-11. Now I can only assume the moderator was asking such a bizarre question to try to explain why conservatives always praise and beloved Nolan films. And how the left often, uh, not so much. From not casting diverse enough in the historical film Dunkirk, to Salon even saying that The Dark Knight Rises was a fascist evil film. Holy hysterical hyperbole, Batman. The Dark Knight Rises is fascist and evil? Gee, I thought The Dark Knight Rises was anti-fascist given that the titular hero was going up against a villain holding the entire city hostage. Then again, given the antics of the leftist loons who comprise the rank and file of Antifa, maybe through their distorted lens, it is Batman rather than Bane who is the bad guy. And joining me now is our Tinseltown rebel, Ben Davies, who recently took in a marathon screening of Christopher Nolan's superb Dark Knight trilogy. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ben. Hey, good to be here. How are you doing? Oh, I, well, I'm kind of jealous because I, I would have loved to be where you were last week. But Ben, you know, once again, we must talk about that double standard in Hollywood, which is to say, if one is to inject a political narrative into a film, it had better be a left-wing narrative because if it veers to the right, then the likes of Salon are going to label the film as being 
evil. <laughs> what gives, boy wonder? Right. I mean, it's basically like you're getting bonus points for having a specific agenda and they'll forego or ignore problems with the film to say it's OK. This film wasn't what we thought it was, but the message was so important. You have to go watch it. Like You see that all the time. It's like it's what they tried to do that was important. And then you have a great piece of work like some of these more conservative films and they get docs and hit in every possible category. And it's only because of that ideology. And it's something that every moviegoer should go look out for, which is why you got to critique kind of your own movies or watch my reviews. I feel like I'm pretty honest. <laughs> no, that's true. And I love them. Uh, but Ben, you know, tell me this. Why is it? I mean, I find it downright perverse that a movie that has a right of center narrative or to be more fair to Christopher Nolan, something perceived by the audience to be right of center is labeled as evil. Evil. I mean, that's an that's an incredibly strong, powerful, demeaning word uh, by those writing in the left wing media. Um, how how is that? Uh, how can they even make that case to begin with? I, it's shocking to me. When I read that Salon review of The Dark Knight Rises, it was horrible, the things they were saying. The New York Times was a little bit more fair. And they get around this because if you're anything... It's like your truth. If you believe that this this is the way the world is, and this is like that power dynamics, this is the patriarchy, this is that oppressive heteronormative stuff going on, and then you speak kind of against that, you're attacking that person, and they'll call you evil. And that's the thing with Christopher Nolan and his films, specifically him, there's other directors that do this, but I think when you try to make an honest film, and the people behave the way normal people would in real situations, and their dialogue is not forced, you know, where you're like, why did that person say that? That makes no sense. Not that kind of stuff then it's going to be more in line with conservative values by default, I believe, because it's not so much based on the ideology. It's based on the way that you perceive the world. Yeah. And, and you know, Ben, I, I got to tell you, even though Christopher Nolan says he was definitely not making a political statement, my, my opinion, mm -hmm. I, and I did a commentary on this a few years ago, is that uh, in the superhero genre, The Dark Knight Rises is the most right of center film you're going to get. And I think really... Yeah. It's about redemption, and it's about the choices people make, i.e., when you're dealt a bad, bad hand. So in the case of Bruce Wayne, he takes that grief and becomes a superhero out of it. In the case of Bane, he becomes a villain, and he wants to make others suffer the, the way he did. In a way, that, that's, that's a lot of conservative ideology there. So, um, you know, again, if anyone hasn't seen this, uh, movie uh, through that lens, I suggest they should. But it's just so telling uh, not to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, hit a dead pony over the head so many times that a conservative value movie or something right of center would be deemed to be evil by the usual suspects. It is incredibly annoying. And I want, if anyone has not seen this trilogy, you've got to go see it. And you're right. There are so many great values throughout it. And it's a perfect book. And the first movie is literally about somebody taking personal responsibility and living for something greater than themselves, living for their community, putting it all on them. They're going to be that conduit. And the second movie is a warning, basically, against that battle between, if you're going to do that, justice and order and evil chaos, which is the Joker. And it's mirrored perfectly with these two characters. And we're kind of stuck in the city with everyone else on these ferries being like, OK, what are we going to do about it? And the third movie is a great example of when good people decide to let slip and we get comfortable in our castles. And they're, they're not in wartime, they're in peacetime, you know, and that's when evil starts to rise. When you get complacent and say, you know what, we don't need these laws anymore. We don't need these conservative values, these principles. 
we can just live the way we want to. You know what? This person has more money than me. It's not fair. We should tear it down and we'll give everything back to the people, you. And it ends up in chaos, tyranny, and genocide. It was like that every single time. And it's just a great bookend story of the way the way Nolan told this whole like little trilogy. Yeah, indeed. And let's not forget that the time in which this was shot, this was uh, during the same time in which um, uh, Occupy Wall Street and the Occupy movement around North America sprung up. And yeah. I thought this was a, a, a rebuttal to that. But tell me, you know, Ben, I will argue with anyone that the gold standard of superhero films is the Dark Knight trilogy. And yeah. I, I want to ask you something as somebody who's a movie industry insider. Will we ever see something like that again? Right now, we're in the era of the Disney superhero formula, which seems to be every second line uttered by a character is a punchline, and then mm -hmm. copious quantities of CGI special effects to the point where I feel like I'm in a video game. Where are we, do you think we'll ever see any more superhero genre films that are more rooted in realism as the uh, Dark Knight trilogy films were? Uh, no. And there's a few <laughs> reasons for that. The, uh, the thing you mentioned with the jokes and the explosions, the punchlines, there's actually a formula that Disney and, and they, that's why Josh Whedon stepped away from the Avengers, because he didn't like the restrictions and the shackles of having to put a joke on this page and then four more lines, you need an explosion here, that kind of thing. Like literally that was his beef with the Avengers Age of Ultron. What happened with the Dark Knight was I think a, a kind of a perfect storm where you had a character that is very rudimentary to all of us. Like the Batman story is such a hero's journey tale, like losing everything and then becoming something greater than themselves. It's just like a perfect conduit to tell that kind of story. And Nolan was the perfect director to tell that story and ground it in a way that works so well for the, the world and how we see it. Like the way that we interact in the world itself. Like he studied so much psychology. He, he quotes, uh, uh, Carl Jung in the first movie, like literally, and not a study. He talked about this during that seminar I went to. How much study he went into trying to make these archetypal characters work in the real world, and uh, I don't know if you'd get that again. I think he had a he had a lot of freedom given that time when they started. And uh, I don't know if you'll see a director have that kind of freedom again with a big budget movie. You know, that's so sad. And I mean, and it speaks volumes that years and years later, after these three films were uh, released, uh, they can uh, run them back to back to back. And it's the hottest ticket uh, to get in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, you know, that speaks Sold volumes. out in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I guess we have to wrap it here, Ben. But I will say, though, that uh, two days ago, I saw the debut online of the Joker uh, trailer. And um, I know it's very dangerous to judge what a movie can be from the trailer, but you know what? It seemed to resonate that Christopher Nolan feel to it. Um, it's not coming out till October, but does hope abound for this particular film? I worry in the same way that I say that we won't have the Dark Knight again because of the way the central character is. You're going to try to tell a story like that and have the central person be a maniacal maniac who's just draped in maleficence. I mean, it's be, I don't know how you would make a compelling story like that. I think it could be really entertaining and I think it could be interesting because you're right, they did shoot at that kind of dark tone and the monsters say feels very Nolan-esque, but I just don't know if you're going to get the same experience because a hero is only as good as the villain and the villain is only as good as the hero you pit them up against. It's like that balance of the Dark Knight, for instance. And I don't know how you're going to do that with this and then try to root for the Joker, I guess, if he's going to be the central character. I don't know. I, I don't I think it could be interesting, but I'm not holding my breath. 
Well, it could be interesting, and I know it is. The film is uh, based on the uh, 1988 graphic novel, uh, The Killing Joke, which was absolutely superb, and Al Moore uh, written uh, a tome. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and let, let's hope the, you know, <laughs> the, the dark side, the intelligent side, the moody side, uh, the spiritual side of superhero films come back in the days ahead. Ben, thank you so much uh, for that uh, wonderful commentary. Oh, for sure, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that was Ben Davies in Hollywood. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Yet in the aftermath of the Hearts fiasco, two gargantuan questions must be answered. Number one, how did such a monster qualify for release in the first place? Look at his crimes, look at his lack of remorse, look at the expectation for him to reoffend, And still, he was set free? And number two, I steadfast refuse to use the she pronoun in describing Matthew Hart, who now looks like a young John Candy in drag. Please don't give me any transphobia lecture here. Not only does this woman have a functioning penis, he has also refused to take estrogen shots which is part of the typical process in transitioning. Remember, his victims were little girls, and he undoubtedly still lusts after little girls, and he was looking for female dates online, and yet we're all supposed to pretend he is a she and put the community at risk, all to save some trans snowflake from getting offended, and we're all supposed to buy into the fact that the word of a pedophile should carry the day? Did anyone at Correctional Services Canada perhaps think Harks was pretending to be a female? I mean, what better way to finagle himself into areas where little girls might be from change rooms to washrooms? Well, that didn't take long now, did it? Barely a week after being inexplicably relocated to a Brampton, Ontario halfway house, child rapist Matthew Harks who now goes by the name Madeline Harks, apparently violated the terms of his parole conditions. As such, Mr. Slash Mrs. Harks has been removed from the female halfway house he was residing in. That's right, a woman's halfway house that just happened to be located near schools, daycare facilities, and community centers. Amazing. Thankfully, he's now back in the Crowbar Motel. Hope he rots there, but I wouldn't bet on it. And in the event, here's what some of you had to say about the folks at Correctional Services Canada putting yet another community at risk so that an unapologetic monster might somehow be rehabilitated. Jedgar writes, first off, if the crimes were committed as a male, he should be jailed as a male. Secondly, now he can be declared a dangerous offender and never ever see the outside again. As plain as the nose on your face, if he is jailed with females, he will be having a heyday in the showers. Well, you know, you raise many good points, Jedgar. Alas, I somehow doubt he'll be declared a dangerous offender, even though I would designate him as such in a heartbeat. And yes, what about the born female inmates at female halfway houses and female prisons? Don't they have the right to a safe space? Well, thanks to political correctness run amok, apparently the answer is no. They do not. Michelle Weiss writes, 
I live in Brampton, about 10 minutes away from where he was placed. I lost my mind when I heard where he was going to be. That halfway house is minutes from a major park and waiting pool, schools. It was just unbelievable. So glad he's gone. Now I'm not nauseated by the thought of taking my nine-year-old daughter downtown. Well, any more than usual. Indeed, Michelle, it boggles the mind that Correctional Services Canada thought this was a good idea. But then again, if Harks reoffended by victimizing yet another little girl, do you think any heads would roll at Correctional Services Canada? Not a chance. They would just chalk it up to a bad call and continue releasing dangerous offenders into the community. It's nauseating. Trevor Trevor writes, you are pedophobic. Well, I'm guessing this is sarcasm, Trevor Trevor. But then again, perhaps it's only a matter of time before the so-called pedophile community makes a case for acceptance. I point to NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. They've rebranded pedophilia as intergenerational love. I think the vast majority of reasonable people have a profound problem with those who champion intergenerational love. And if we are branded as pedophobic, then so be it. Alan Anderson writes, is it hard to understand he is a she-lesbian? Well, how odd, Harks was indeed born male and has always lusted after young girls. Now he claims to be a she, but still lusts after young girls. So I guess he went from a heterosexual pedophile to a lesbian pedophile once he started identifying as a female? Man, I am more confused than ever. And Bike Cycle writes, pedophiles cannot be cured at all. They really have lost their right to be among regular people in society permanently. This was a disaster waiting to happen, but they don't care because it's someone else's child who will suffer. You know, you're right, Bike Cycle. I mean, can you imagine being a mature adult who sexually lusts after children. I think that's a fate worse than death, to be quite frank. And since this condition is not curable, surely the only answer is locking up pedophiles indefinitely, both for our protection and theirs. Yet to release such a predator into society who is flagged at a high risk to reoffend again and then to pretend that he is a she? Wow. Talk about a recipe for disaster. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.